0: So you wanna start a podcast. You feel like it's what God's putting on your heart to do, but you have no idea where to go from there. Anchor.fm is what I used to edit and to put this podcast out to you each and every week. So if you feel like that's on your heart, you don't know where to start and you want something super easy, go to anchor.fm and get started today. Welcome to season 13 of The Anchor by the Sword podcast. I cannot wait for you to hear the freedom story of the individual in today's podcast episode. I pray that it will leave you encouraged and it will also lead you to a closer relationship with God. Please share this with whoever you think needs to hear this message today. And thank you for your continued support and for listening and being with me for almost three years now. So God bless and let's do this. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Anchor by the Sword podcast. I am here today with Kristen Lavalley. Her and I met about two and a half years ago or so. We were just trying to figure out exactly how long it's been. We met at a conference in New Hampshire and I was brand new to ministry just started the podcast, and she had some beautiful new additions to her life as well that came with her. So I'm really excited to be able to sit down and talk with her about her book that comes out today, even if he doesn't, and just get to catch up with her. So thank you so much for joining me today, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So can
1: you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Kristen, obviously, and I live in Massachusetts. I have five children and my husband and I were in full-time career ministry for a little over a decade. And we left that about, oh, I don't know, seven, six years ago Mm -hmm. or something. Um, And since then, we've just been writing. I'm a writer. My husband works for a nonprofit and we've just been building a little life for ourselves up here on the, on the East coast where it's cold right now.
0: It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm in Ohio still. And yeah, it's, I know for yeah, us it's about twenty eight. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's about twenty-eight degrees or so outside right now. It's too yep. cold. <laughs> Same here. So, Kristen, let's talk about your freedom story. Sure.
1: So I don't I feel like I have probably several freedom stories in my life that I could pull from, but the most uh impactful one for me was just this painful sort of unraveling that I went through a few years ago when we had left our church, when we, my husband and I had stepped aside from career ministry. It was really a painful split, emotional and spiritual split, and I kind of was just spiraling a little bit because these ideas that I had about who God was and the formula that I had for my life and my faith and how things would play out for me was suddenly not working anymore. The formula worked until it didn't. And Mm -hmm. then everything sort of fell apart all around me. And I was angry at God. We had to leave our house because the house was the church's parsonage. We lost our community. We lost our income. Everything just shattered around me all at once and my identity and my understanding of God and my understanding of the world really just completely shifted overnight. Mm-hmm. And it was this really painful breaking of these doctrines and ideas that I had held on so tightly that they just cracked and mm-hmm. <laughs> fell fell into pieces all around me. And I had to wrestle with who God was and who he actually is compared to who I believed him to be. And it was a really painful time a really painful season of change and growth for me and as i was coming out of it and god was sort of reconstructing my faith and i was reconstructing with him i just just kind of slowly let go of all the things that i thought i needed to have control over and all the things that i needed to be certain of and in that we went through a few back to back really hard and traumatic things after that and through all of those breakings, God just showed me how good he was outside of my ideas of him and how he wasn't bound by my doctrines and my theologies and things that I thought that I had all figured out. And I've got God figured out. I thought I was so sure. And he was so good to me and so present in spite of the boxes that I had built for him. And in spite of the way that I had demanded, he show up for me, he showed up for me in his own way. And really broke me free of the bondage and the cages that I had put myself in because I needed God to be something that I could figure out. And when I let go of needing to have it all figured out and needing to be so certain of everything, he was so present and so compassionate and empathetic with me. And it changed the way that I saw him. It changed the way that I engaged with my pain and it changed the way that I offered care to other people who were in pain.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that because that that is a hard thing when whatever happens that you have to leave your church and leave Mm -hmm. what you know that can be such a hard thing. I just went through that at the end of twenty twenty two, beginning of twenty twenty three, and that was so hard. And I don't know about you, but it took me a good year before I was comfortable where I am.
1: Yeah, at least.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you were talking about. Deconstruction and reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that as soon as some Christian people hear those two words, they are running for the hills and calling heresy. So (laughs) let's let's talk a little bit about that. How that the deconstruction and the reconstruction can actually lead us to a better place than we ever were.
1: I think we have to be really careful not to be afraid of words and Mm -hmm. think that we know what a word means for every single person because. It's just a word, and when you decide right away what a word means when somebody says it, you can write a narrative about that person that's untrue and bear false witness against that person just because of a word that they use that might not mean the same thing to them as it does to you. Deconstruction is something that is incredibly misunderstood, and um, a lot of people paint it with these broad strokes. And call it a movement or call it a belief system. And it's neither of those things. Deconstruction is just the dismantling of your belief system to see what is true and what needs to be tossed out. And it's something that Christians have been doing since the beginning of, of time. Mm-hmm. It's gone by many names. There were um, several great awakenings and revolutions and revivals that happened where people said the same thing. Oh, you're you're a heretic and you don't baptize the way that I think we should baptize. So you're going against the true word of God. Every great movement of faith has happened through a deconstruction. It wasn't called a deconstruction. That's just the word that we use right now. Um, but just like anything in faith, there's a spectrum of belief and there's a spectrum of um uh, processes that happen everything is so individual for so many different people i have been working with people through doubt and suffering and how suffering affects your faith i've i've been in this space for a decade now and most people don't deconstruct in the way that social media tells you everybody is deconstructing most people deconstruct and find jesus and find a really close intimate deep relationship with jesus and it changes everything about their lives for the better. I don't know of a single person and and I'm talking dozens and dozens of people that I've either walked through or that are close friends and family members of mine. I don't know one person who has gone through a deconstruction or a reconstruction simply because they didn't like what they believed anymore. And they just wanted to shake things up a little bit (laughs) for most people it's really painful and it's really Mm -hmm. lonely and it's not something that they choose it's something that they were catapulted into because of something that happened in their life and all they're trying to do is find truth and peace and move forward in their life and not get stuck in their pain or stuck in their fear or stuck in this distance that sometimes life creates between us and god they're trying to close that gap and now the name goes by deconstruction But it's been called many things over the Mm -hmm. years. And I think we just need to, before we write someone off and call them a heretic, ask them questions and be curious about what their process is. And you might, you might learn something.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it doesn't even have to be church. It's like any part of our lives, like Mm -hmm. something happens and we literally have to refigure things out. And one of the times I saw that, you know, you, when you were writing your book, the one chapter, and I have went through this myself, where when you are 17 years old and you <laughs> think you're like, this is the one, this is, this the, is one. the guy, this is the one I'm supposed to marry. It's all God. And then yeah. you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was another form of something that you had to yeah. deconstruct out of your head that you had constructed this whole thing in your head. So yeah, you talk about that just... Most of oh, my, my listeners gosh. are like mid uh older age women, but mm-hmm. we've all been there. So it's just <laughs> always nice to talk to somebody who's like, Yeah, been there, done that. So when we're talking oh, to our goodness. kids about it, they don't think we're dumb.
1: <laughs> not <laughs> they too <might> much. anyway. <laughs> they
0: still might. But at least they know it's not
1: just us. <laughs> yeah. That was such a I don't know. It feels like centuries ago <laughs> now, but it was, I, I think I had this idea in my head that marriage was this like, ideal you Mm -hmm. you have to get married and so the first serious boyfriend I had that was it like I had to marry him because I was serious about him and it's that that sunk cost fallacy you know I put two years into this this has to be the rest of (laughs) the rest of my life and Mm -hmm. I also had a really low image of myself I Mm -hmm. thought this is the guy that wants to be with me so I probably shouldn't let it go because no other guy is ever going to want to be with me. So I'll just take this guy. And he was such a goofball. It was such an immature relationship <laughs> and that never any hard feelings, but I was sure that that was who God had for me for better or worse, even though I didn't even really like him towards the end. I was just like, <laughs> this is just what God has given me. So I better, I better just lock it down. And it wasn't until a friend was we were talking about how to know you're in the will of God. And she recommended mm-hmm. a book to me. And we were talking about how do you know, like, mm-hmm. if you're at the time, I was 18, almost 19. I was still my frontal lobe wasn't closed yet. I, I was still learning to have my own relationship with God. I didn't know how to hear from God. And she said, Well, you know, I think when your head and your heart are saying different things, mm-hmm. then you know that, probably you need to go with with what you feel like your heart is leading you to to do and i felt like god was saying you got to get out of this kristen this is not the best that i that i have for you and so when i broke up with him it was with the uh with the full acceptance that i was never going to get married like i was done I'm 19 years old almost not even 19 years old <laughs> nobody was ever gonna, like i just gave up my one shot to get married thank god that that wasn't true i met my husband yeah. not even six months later so it all worked (laughs) out
0: (laughs) I love that because just that scene just you talking about that alone I think in movies and I'm thinking about the movie Pride and Prejudice when you said that (laughs) when when they said that she should marry that one guy that she did not even want to be around Mm -hmm. and the one and you know you felt bad for the other girl because she had such a low esteem for herself and she was Mm -hmm. a little older and they're like she goes, well, this is the best I can do. And like that thought right there, it is so sad. And yeah, I think we've all went through that and thought that at different points, like, is this the best it's ever going to be? Yeah. And so you talk about Ebenezer stones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, different markers in in our lives. So can you talk a little bit about that and how that would relate to what we were just talking about?
1: So Ebenezer, Ebenezer stones are... It's from a story in the Bible where the Israelites were going against the Philistines, and there was really no practical Logical way for them to win, and yet they did win because God helped them win. Mm-hmm. And so they turned a sto- stone over, and they said, "This is this is where God came through for us. We're gonna put this stone up so we remember what God did for us here. Remember mm-hmm. that God is the one that did for did this for us." And I think in our lives we have these Ebenezer stones that sometimes we don't erect the monument um, to remember what God has done for us, and so we forget. All the times that God has come through with us, through for us in a practical way, in a tangible way, in a way that can't be chalked up to anything other than God stepping in and intervening. And I think it's really important to mark those moments in your life because when you're going through something really painful or something confusing or any kind of um, murky type of situation – it's really easy to forget that God has come through for you before. And it's really easy to lose hope and feel like nothing's going to happen. This is just, this is what it, this is what it is. This is the best that God has for me. And when you remember the times and you set up your Ebenezer stones, you mark them, you write them down, you remember them, however it is that you remember them. I have a little note in my phone that I keep to put all my Ebenezer Stone moments in, um, when you have those to look back on, you can look back and say, all right, let me look at this list. God has come through for me before he's going to come through for me again. They just remind us that God is trustworthy, that he's faithful Mm -hmm. and that he pays attention to us in really, really specific ways.
0: Mm -hmm. And so what are a couple of your Ebenezer stones? Oh, I have so many. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. Well, one of the ones that I talk about in my book is a, it's it's called a peach tea Ebenezer Stone. Mm-hmm. And it's things like that, where I have really specific things that I like. I'm kind of like a person that hyper fixates. I don't really change my likes mm-hmm. very much. Once I decide that I like something, that's it for me until it isn't. And then I never want to look at it again. Mm-hmm. But one of the biggest consistent things for me my fixes is is peach iced tea probably for I don't know as long as my husband and I have been married so over 15 years peach iced tea has been like my emotional vice that's what I want when it's when I just need to have a little comfort in the day if I'm having a hard day or if I just want something refreshing. It's just like a little, little serotonin. I just love my peach Mm -hmm. iced tea. And after we left our church, we were living in New York city and feeling really lonely, feeling like God had abandoned me. He had taken the side of my enemies, all the lies that you tell yourself when you're feeling really distant from God. And I just, one day I was walking down the street and I said, God, if you're paying attention to me, if you care about me at all, please let there be a peach iced tea in this bodega that I'm I'm about to step into such a silly thing definitely a throwing the fleece out for god kind of moment but I just thought man if he does this little thing for me then he is with me cuz my faith was on the on the precipice of annihilation mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time and I turned into the bodega and that peach tea was in the fridge ice cold it was the only peachy i ever found while we were living in new york city never saw another one now i know that the brand was actually phasing out those mm-hmm. peachies, which is why i couldn't find them anywhere but i just felt like wow that was such a cool coincidence maybe but I don't I I think God uses coincidences to speak his love to us even mm-hmm. if they are like okay yeah it's a grocery store of course they're going to you know crazy that there's a peach tea in the grocery store but for <laughs> me it was this really intentional mm-hmm. God saying look I see you and I might yeah. not be showing up for you the way that you're expecting me to show up for you right now but I'm here and I and I care about you and it's silly things like that like the Ebenezer's you think are always these big moments where mm-hmm. everybody can look in from the outside and go wow what a miracle but most of my Ebenezer moments are like that, like silly little things that nobody else would think anything about, but I know how specific they are to me. And so mm-hmm. I know that God is showing me how much he loves me in those moments. Mm-hmm.
0: That is so sweet. And I know it is something so random that it would only be between you and God. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, walking around in New York city. <laughs> you never know what you're going to find there. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so one of the ways I first heard about you was through Carlos Whitaker, and so, so yeah, they're the yeah. best. Can we talk about that for a moment?
1: Sure, yeah. Carlos and I became friends. I mean, I've known who Carlos is forever, right. So I, you know, I was very much in the evangelical ministerial world when he was leading worship, and he had albums, and he was you know big, big guy back back in the day. And then we became friends through the pandemic. We were both talking about similar things and um, addressing similar topics. And we just connected over that. We became friends behind the scenes and nobody really knew. We weren't like publicly friends. We were just like, you know, a couple of Instagrammers who had some things in common. We became Mm -hmm. friends behind the scenes. And then when our pregnancy went crisis for the second time it was kind of like a roller coaster of things Mm -hmm. that were happening I just posted on my story like look I can't keep telling you guys to stop asking me for my Venmo I'm getting really tired I can't look at DMs because people were like send us your Venmo no 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 I'm fine like I was trying to be really big about it but people kept asking me and I was I just didn't want to look at my messages anymore because I was so scared and Mm -hmm. deeply in trauma Mm -hmm. And people were sending me some weird stuff too that was not helpful at all and Mm -hmm. was like further traumatizing me. So I was like, I'm just not going to look at my DMs anymore. Here's my Venmo. You're asking. You don't have to give. I'm just putting this up there because you're asking I'm out, like I'm going to bed or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sitting there on the bed and Zach and I were just talking about what we're going to do. Cause on that day, the doctors had said, we're going to deliver on Monday. And we were only, I think 24 weeks at the time, which is Mm -hmm. way too early to have babies. And so we're just like, what are we going to do? And then my phone starts buzzing and it was Venmo notifications. And they just said, hope, 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 hope. And it was $10, $20, $500, $1,000. People were just sending stuff over and over and over again and I was like what did Carlos do because that's his thing (laughs) hope like yep the hope guy I'm like what did he do so I go onto Instagram and see that he had shared just a little bit about our story didn't even tell everybody that we were like actual friends he just said this is Kristen this is what she's going through let's send her a little hope so they they um sent us a lot of money they sent it ended up by the end of it it was like two day two or three days Until people stopped sending us money and it ended up being $50,000 that people sent us. And that carried us that year to be able to get through the NICU without worrying about working. Zach and I both work from home and we work for ourselves. So we're freelancers. So we have Mm -hmm. to like be creative and be able to show up for work every day. And that made it so we didn't have to do that when we were in the NICU. And we didn't have to touch our savings. We were saving for a house. We were able to buy a house without having to spend that money that we had worked so hard to save up to live on while our girls were in the NICU. So it created this amazing buffer for us to get through this really year and a half of crisis without going into <laughs> insane amounts of debts. And it was such a we were so fortunate and and mm-hmm. so grateful for what Carlos and the Insta Familia did for us. And that was beautiful, beautiful display of the body of Christ holding each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen him do that. I saw him do that, like I said, for you. And then there was a couple other instances where I was just sitting there and I was like, wow, this is amazing just to see people show up. And it, it renews yeah. your hope in other people and that mm-hmm. people are genuinely good and genuinely want to help.
1: Yeah, and it's so. I,
0: it was so beautiful. And then you talked about how during that time you were, de- you were working through stuff with your girls. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's um go back in and talk about your pregnancy with these sure. beautiful little girls.
1: So at my um 19 week, but mid pregnancy it's usually 20 weeks, but we did it a week early at 19 mm-hmm. weeks. Um, the anatomy scan where you check the bones, you check the heartbeat, make sure everything's the longest ultrasound for any pregnancy, but for a twin (laughs) pregnancy, it's twice as long. I think it was that day, maybe three hours or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was alone because it was during the pandemic. So Zach couldn't be in the room with me. I was just in there by myself. He actually wasn't even in the state because we were RVing at the time. So I flew back Mm -hmm. home for the scan with the intention to go back the next day, but obviously... That didn't happen. Um, And during the scan at the end, the maternal fetal medicine doctor came in and you you have to go see a maternal fetal medicine doctor at least once when you're pregnant with twins who share a placenta because it's really high risk. I was also 34 at the time. So they consider that borderline geriatric. (laughs) So there's all kinds of like Mm -hmm. high risk things that you have to do. But because they shared one placenta, it was automatically higher risk. And so the doctor comes in and says that one of the babies is not getting the right amount of nutrients. She's likely not going to survive to a viable gestation. So this is at 19 weeks. And she, I asked, what are my options? Is there anything we can do? And they said that most women with these kind of factors choose to abort the baby who's not getting enough nutrients so that the other baby can survive and have a full full-term pregnancy with no complications because their placenta was connected and they, you know, two umbilical cords coming out of one placenta. Mm -hmm. If the one baby had died, it would have sent a surge of blood through the placenta to the other baby that could have caused a stroke or death or all kinds of medical issues. So it was a really fragile medical situation that Mm -hmm. continued to get fragile um, for the next. So that was 19 weeks and they were born at 29 weeks. So for 10 weeks, it was um, three ultrasounds a week, three two-hour ultrasounds a week. I was back and forth from my hospital to another hospital in New York City getting different opinions. And then I ended up being hospitalized at 27 weeks, 26, 27 weeks um, indefinitely because the, the blood in her cord was going back into the placenta. And then I developed a condition called... Um, gestational hypertension, which tends to turn into preeclampsia for twin moms, especially, which is um, a condition that causes seizures and death for the the mom. So it became this really weighing a lot of like, what's safest for the babies, what's safest for me, because obviously it's better for the babies to stay inside me, but every day they're inside me, it's a risk that one will die, and it's also a risk that I'll go into preeclampsia and have a seizure or something will happen. So I was hospitalized for two weeks, and then preeclampsia is what ended up happening. And I went mm-hmm. into preterm labor, premature labor. We had an emergency C section, and they're born at 29 weeks on the day. Two minutes apart, mm-hmm. one was born at 11.59 p.m. and the other was born at 12.01 p.m. So twins, identical twins, shared a placenta two minutes apart with different birthdays, which is so funny. Wow. And then we spent two months in the NICU.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So lots of lots of like little details and stuff in there that it sounds like, oh, look, everything <laughs> turned out fine. But it was really traumatic and Mm -hmm. um a lot of ups and downs roller coaster medical complications it was a mess but we are so grateful that they're home and they're fine and Mm -hmm. they turned three in may which is crazy wow wow yeah
0: Yeah. thank you so much for sharing um they're part of the story and you're part of the story and i followed along because like i said i when i met you or, you know, I started hearing about you through the mm-hmm. online And then I started following you right around that time. So right. from a distance, I could see that what you were going through. But obviously, none of us can imagine unless we're actually in that situation. And so when this doctor said that to you, mm-hmm. I mean, what was going through your mind? Um,
1: I was in shock, really. I I couldn't really process what she was saying she actually ended up drawing a diagram of what it would look like to sever one baby from the uh, placenta which was just really jarring but I was just thinking I can't I can't do this this is not my choice to make even though I was making the choice um, I like to use the the metaphor of King Solomon and the women who said, This is my baby, and they're yeah. fighting over the baby. And he said, Okay, well, we'll solve this. Let's just cut the baby in half. And one mom says, No, 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 just let her have it. And the other mom says, Well, fine. Okay. Yeah. Cut the baby. In half. I don't care. And that's how he determines who the mom is. Right. And so, in my story, I felt like I was both the king and the mother I was the king with the sword and I had the choice of what to do what which baby should survive but I was also the mother with no choice because how can a mother choose something like that there is no Mm -hmm. choice in that so if anything I chose to point the sword at myself and chose to take the risk of trusting that God was going to let me have both of my babies but knowing that even if he didn't I would be okay. And he would still be good. And it was this really instinctual decision based on what I had determined was true about God's sovereignty mm-hmm. and true about who he is in regards to life and death. It wasn't an ideological thing. It wasn't a political thing. it wasn't a, It wasn't even really a theological thing. It was just this gut. I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that he's the author of life and death. I'm mm-hmm. going to trust him to make this decision. I can't I can't do it. And um, yeah, that's that was pretty much all that was going through my head at every appointment where I, I had to make the decision at every appointment up until mm-hmm. it was no longer legal in my state to abort. I had to continue to make that decision. And it was really hard. It wasn't as black and white as it, as it might seem because it was a really complex medical thing going on. But mm-hmm. I'm grateful that we got the outcome that we did. Mm-hmm. Amen when you
0: were going through that time and any time surrounding that what bible verse or verses have kept you anchored
1: oh there's a few in psalms that are um laments that mm-hmm. were just helped me feel really seen but the the passage i would consider my anchor my life passage is from ephesians chapter 3 And it's verses, um, 14 to, I mean, you could go all the way down to 18, but it says for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be be filled with all the fullness of God. It's just this powerful description to me of how vast the love of God is. If we need all of that, the strength of all the saints, the power of Christ to be able to even wrap our minds around a love that inevitably will surpass our ability to understand it. Mm -hmm. That is a love that I can feel really safe. And that's a love that I can trust. So no matter Mm -hmm. what I'm going through, good times or bad, I always remember that verse and how Mm -hmm. the the Christian culture likes to really focus on God's wrath and judgment sometimes. But God says, hang on, it's my love that you can't wrap your mind around this. You're going to need all all this to even begin. And even then you're still not going to get it because it's going to surpass your knowledge. That's a lot of love. And that Mm -hmm. really holds me to the belief that God is trustworthy and that he is um, a God who we can be safe with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: I love that verse and I think that can hold true in a lot of our situations. And one other thing that you like to talk about um, or don't know if you like to talk about it, but you talk about (laughs) it is your mental health. Mm -hmm. And so I can see how that verse can, um, be an anchor in that situation as well. So can you talk a little bit about your journey with mental health?
1: Yeah, I've always kind of been, um, someone who struggles with anxiety. It I goes all the way back to being a kid, um, and just struggled with depression and, and things like that. When I, uh, had my third baby, I had really bad postpartum depression and anxiety and so much so that it put me in the hospital a lot. I, and my life pretty much went on hold uh, for about a year because of how uh, dark things were, how difficult mm-hmm. things were. And then um, I started going to therapy. I started to address some of the... Things that were going on underneath the surface, learning about myself, learning about my body, learning about my mind, uh, finding out that I have ADHD and and how that correlates a lot with anxiety and depression And women, how the type of ADHD I have, I have inattentive type, gets bypassed a lot um, for children and for girls specifically. It doesn't present itself the way people expect ADHD to present itself, and so it ends up creating a lot of self-hatred, a lot of self-doubt. Um, feeling like the world is against you and you can't figure out how to function in the world, which leads to depression. So all these things over a period of time, I learned how interconnected they were. And through that time, learned a lot about how the churches um, learned, learned a lot about the church's tolerance. Towards mental health and having mental health issues, and the tolerance is not very high. It's getting better, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's really important to have the conversations about mm-hmm. mental health and yes. to destigmatize it a little bit, and not treat people like, oh, well, we'll we'll just like come back to you when you're feeling better, because for some of us, it's chronic, and there is no getting past it outside of a miracle, which would be great. God, I'm willing. Um, but for me, it's a chemical imbalance. It's a hormonal thing. It's a brain thing. And thankfully, I am at a place right now. It could change. Mental health goes up and down. But I'm at mm-hmm. a place right now where I've found a lot of things that work really well for me to be able to function in my life without dread and fear mm-hmm. and an all-consuming darkness, which is what it was for a long time and trauma plays into that. There's a lot of factors that, that go into it, but it's been uh it's been quite the journey. <laughs> yeah. Um thank you for
0: being vulnerable about that as well because um I know a lot of us have dealt with different things. My mom was bipolar mm. and I've had my own struggles with anxiety and depression. And I think it's so important, like you said, to destigmatize it. And mm-hmm. I think that that's one thing that did come out of COVID that may be positive is sure. that it made people talk about it more. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, the church is better, but it's not there.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's so getting better.
0: it is, we just got to keep, you know, keep going and keep learning and yeah. keep working on it. So all yep. of us need to do that. So Well, Kristen, I have loved our conversation today. I've loved getting to sit down and get to know you more because when I met you, everything was so high anxiety, high stress. There was like Mm -hmm. so much going on. And so I didn't really get a chance to sit down and talk with you and talk about your story with you. I did get to see your beautiful girls, but (laughs) I didn't get a chance to really talk with you. So I'm really glad that we had time to talk today. Yeah, me too. So where can people find you?
1: Instagram is the is the best place. It's just my name, Kristen.Lavalli. And I have a Substack
0: blog as well. Awesome. I will put links to all that in the show notes. And you guys go get her book. Even if he doesn't, it comes out today. So again, thank you, Kristen, for joining me. And you guys have a great week. And I'll talk to you next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I pray that each of you will take something from this episode that you will be challenged, that you will be encouraged in your walk with God. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review so that other people can find this and other people can listen to the stories of God's redemption. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next episode.